Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Thursday, January 26th, 2023. There are a few anniversaries. On January 25th in the year 750, uh, this was the anniversary of the Battle of the Zab. Uh, there's a whole piece on this uh, at the newsletter, so I won't uh, go into too much detail. But uh, the Battle of the Zab was the final battle of the Abbasid Revolution, uh, which was basically a civil war within the caliphate that overthrew the uh, pretty loathed by this point Umayyad dynasty uh, and replaced them with the Abbasid dynasty who very cleverly on their way up the ladder portrayed themselves as kind of unknown ciphers so that anybody who had grievances with the Umayyads could uh, kind of project their grievances onto the Abbasids before they finally took power and then, you know, uh, announced who they were and what their agenda was, uh, at which point they kind of turned around uh, and uh, stabbed a number of their supporters in the back, including the uh, kind of proto-Shia movement that had supported them. Uh, on January 25th, 1971, a Ugandan military coup led by General Idi Amin overthrew the socialist regime of President Milton Obote. Uh, Amin is uh, notoriously uh, remembered as a very brutal authoritarian dictator. Uh, he was finally ousted from power in 1979 during the Uganda-Tanzania War. On January 26th, 1565, uh, this is the anniversary of the Battle of Talakota, uh, when the Muslim Deccan Sultanates, which were small kingdoms in kind of central India, uh, ruling a very uh, predominantly Hindu population, defeated uh, the Vijayanagara Empire, which uh, had occupied southern India and had resisted to this point uh, Islamic expansion uh, from northern India and was through threatening, actually, to kind of roll back uh, some Islamic gains, but they were badly defeated uh, at this battle. It sent the uh, whole empire into a tailspin from which it never recovered. Uh, eventually, much of that region was uh, was uh, conquered by the Mughals, in fact. They swept south and uh, conquered all these peoples eventually. Uh, on January 26, 1699, this is the anniversary of the Treaty of Karlovitz, uh, which uh, ended the Great Turkish War, uh, which lasted from, uh, you know, sort of uh, 1683 to 1699. Uh, that that name is really grating because uh, it was not Turkish, it was Ottoman, uh, and it was great only, <laughs> only from certain perspectives. It was certainly not great from the Ottoman perspective because the Treaty of Karlowitz stands out in history as the first treaty uh, that the Ottoman Empire had to conclude at the end of a conflict with a European power that it concluded on the Europeans' terms. Uh, so they lost this war, basically. And uh, this was almost unheard of uh, for the Ottomans. So uh, it put them on uh, unknown ground, let's say, and it signaled the uh, steep decline, at least relative uh, to European states. It signaled the steep decline of the empire. Uh, on, also on January 26, 1788, the, first, uh, the British First Fleet arrived at the future Port Jackson and planted a flag on Sydney Cove, marking the establishment of Britain's wonderful penal colony in Australia. This is commemorated as Australia Day every year uh, to this day. Uh, in the news, uh, one international story, I suppose, of note, an asteroid called 2023BU uh, is set to make a very close pass by Earth sometime this week. I'm not sure it may have already made it by the time you uh, hear this, according to NASA. Uh, by very close 
I mean around 3,600 kilometers, which is really around satellite territory. So very, very close. Too close for comfort, one might say. Uh, there is apparently no chance that uh, 2023 BU, which is said to be the size of a truck, definitely enough to do some damage, uh, will collide with Earth. So I guess congratulations or condolences are in order, depending on your perspective on the whole asteroid striking the Earth uh, issue. In the Middle East and Israel-Palestine, in their deadliest single West Bank raid since the United Nations began tracking such things, Israeli occupation forces killed at least nine people in a refugee camp in the city of Jenin on Thursday. According to Israeli officials, their personnel were after, quote, an Islamic Jihad terror squad, end quote, when they came under attack and altogether now returned fire in self-defense. Uh, Palestinian officials identified two of the dead as civilians and the other seven as militants and said that another 20 people were wounded. Uh, Israeli forces also shot and killed a Palestinian man near Ramallah amid protests that broke out once news broke of the Janine incident. Uh the Palestinian Authority announced uh, subsequently that it is suspending security operations uh, or security cooperation, rather, with the Israelis in response to the violence on Thursday. Uh, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is scheduled to visit Israel next week, so I'm sure uh, that will fix everything. Uh, in what is very much still a developing story, someone, I think it's safe to assume it was Islamic Jihad, fired two rockets out of Gaza early Friday. Uh, like clockwork, the Israeli military responded with airstrikes, targeting what's being described as a Hamas training camp. There are no reports of casualties on either side of this exchange. In Bahrain, Bahraini Crown Prince Salman bin Hamad al-Khalifa reportedly telephoned the Emir of Qatar, Sheikh Tamim bin Hamad al-Thani, excuse me, on Wednesday, in the first sign of a diplomatic reopening between those two countries since Bahrain, along with Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE, ended its blockade slash embargo of Qatar two years ago. Egypt and Saudi Arabia have since reestablished diplomatic ties with Qatar, and both, both of them, plus the UAE, uh, have reinstated commercial ties. But there's been no movement uh, on any front in the Qatari-Bahraini relationship. Partly, uh, this may reflect the historic bad blood between the Khalifa and Thani families over disputed territory, but mostly I think it suggests that restoring relations with Bahrain just isn't all that big a priority for the Qataris. Uh, in Iran, International Atomic Energy Agency Director Rafael Grossi has informed European lawmakers that Iran now has enough highly enriched uranium to fuel several nuclear weapons should Tehran decide to go down that road. Uh, insert your favorite, uh, if only there were some sort of international agreement in place to limit the size and scope of Iran's enrichment program, joke here. Uh, there's no evidence the Iranians have enriched any uranium to weapons grade, which is 90% or higher, but it wouldn't take much time to enrich their stockpile of 60% enriched uh, HEU uh, or 60% HEU to that level. Uh, needless to say, uh, there's also no evidence that Iranian leaders have decided to produce their own nuclear weapon. Of course, the absence of an actual nuclear weapons program has never stopped the United States from attacking a country on the basis of speculation about a possible nuclear weapons program. Come to think of it, the only thing that's reliably stopped the U.S. in situations like that is if the country in question acquires a nuclear weapon. Uh, there's probably an uncomfortable lesson there, uh, but I'll leave it to you to figure that out. Uh, in Asia, uh, the in Azerbaijan, the Azerbaijani government is suing Armenia for involvement 
environmental damage it claims to have suffered due to Armenian military occupation over the past couple of decades. Armenia's victory in the first Nagorno-Karabakh war in the 1990s left it in control of the Karabakh region as well as much of the surrounding territory in southwestern Azerbaijan. The Azerbaijanis regained um, much of that territory after winning the second Karabakh war uh, in 2020, and they're claiming that they subsequently discovered damage to habitats, natural resources, uh, and so on. A UN Environment Program report issued last year corroborated the claims of environmental damage, but also suggested that some of the degradation was caused by Azerbaijan's post-war rebuilding projects. Nevertheless, Baku is seeking international arbitration over the issue under the terms of the 1979 Bern Convention on the Conservation of European Wildlife and Natural Habitats. This will be the first such case brought under that convention. If the arbiters side uh, with Azerbaijan, if they rule in Azerbaijan's favor, Favor, Armenia would be obliged to pay damages as it is a burn signatory. I guess the Armenians could ignore an unfavorable ruling, but that would probably raise tensions in the southern Caucasus at a time when Azerbaijan is in a substantially stronger diplomatic and military position, so that might not be advisable. Uh, in Pakistan, Pakistani electoral authorities have ordered the governments in Punjab and Khyber Pakhtunkhwa provinces to hold snap elections for their recently dissolved assemblies by April 13th and April 17th, respectively. Former Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan, whose Pakistan Tehrike and Saf party controlled both provincial legislatures, had them dissolved, uh, probably in an effort to force the Electoral Commission to move Pakistan's general election forward from its likely date sometime this fall. Since Pakistan generally elects provincial assemblies at the same time as the national parliament. Uh, he probably reasoned that authorities would move the entire general election rather than schedule separate elections uh, for these two provinces. It would seem, if that was his, if that was his plan, uh, that he was mistaken. Still, it sounds like PTI leaders are comfortable with this outcome. The party's poll numbers are high, and it's therefore likely that it will improve uh, on its previous majorities in both provinces. So this is not an altogether a uh, bad outcome for them. Uh, in Myanmar, that country's nearly two years of post-coup instability has caused a spike in opium production, according to new data released by the UN Office on Drugs and Crime. Myanmar's opium production increased by 33% last year, and its potential opium yield increased by some 88%. Opium production had been on the decline in Myanmar prior to the February 2021 coup that brought the military back into power. Political instability has left Myanmar authorities largely unable to control the drug trade and economic instability has driven people toward lucrative opium pop poppy farming for lack of viable alternatives. In North Korea, the UN command uh, station in South Korea uh, reports that the North Korean and South Korean militaries violated the Korean War armistice during an incident on December 26th in which each flew drones into the other's airspace. Uh, apparently what happened was North Korean drones crossed into South Korean airspace. This triggered a South Korean military response in which, among other things, it sent its own surveillance drones into North Korean airspace. South Korean officials are claiming that they acted in self defense. There's been no response uh, to the report yet, as far as I know, from North Korea. Uh, in Africa, in Burkina Faso, the French government has recalled its ambassador from Burkina Faso for consultations following the Burkina Bay Junta's decision to dissolve the bilateral military cooperation agreement and order, to Fren order French forces to leave the country within a month. The Junta had actually requested the ambassador's recall earlier this month, 
mostly on, I think, in personal grounds. Uh, they didn't like this particular ambassador. Uh, they have been stressing, the Junta, has, the Junta leaders have stressed that they're not seeking to cut off diplomatic ties with Paris. That said, this is the first step toward Paris cutting off diplomatic ties with Burkina Faso. So we'll see what happens. Uh, French counterterrorism forces that are currently stationed in Burkina Faso will likely be redeployed uh, to Niger. Uh, The French government, of course, uh, agreed, uh, said earlier this week that it would uh, abide by the uh, Burkina Bay order to to Vamoose. Uh, Public sentiment in Burkina Faso has turned decisively against the French presence and the junta has been moving in Russia's direction. Uh, In Ethiopia, the Associated Press, citing a number of witnesses, is reporting heavy fighting in recent days between Amhara Regional Security Forces and uh, fighters from the Rebel Oromo uh, Liberation Army Group. Uh, According to these accounts, the fighting began on Saturday when OLA militants attacked an Amhara security outpost in the town of Jewuha, killing over 20 people. Uh, Fighting has spread subsequently to other nearby towns. Amhara officials say they have engaged the assistance of federal police and military forces. Thousands of people are reportedly being displaced by all this fighting. Uh, Elsewhere, Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed visited Sudan on Thursday for the first time since the 2021 coup that ousted Sudan's transitional government and left the military solely in control in Khartoum. Uh, The Ethiopian government's recently ended, for now at least, conflict with the Tigray People's Liberation Front threatened on a couple of occasions to spill over into Sudan, thanks uh, partly to the refugee crisis the conflict created and to the the revival of a long-standing border dispute between the two countries. Uh, the Sudanese government has also, along with the Egyptian government, been opposed to the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam project for fears that it will reduce water flows on the Blue Nile and Nile rivers. Junta leader Abdel Fattah al-Burhan seemed to indicate on Thursday that he and Abi reached some sort of accord on the dam, but it's unclear what that actually might entail. Uh, in Somalia, U.S. Special Forces reportedly killed a man named Bilal Asudani, a financial facilitator, that's how he's been described, for Islamic State, along with 10 other Islamic State fighters in an operation in northern Somalia that took place on Wednesday. Details appear to be somewhat sparse, so it's unclear, for example, exactly where it took place. Uh, U.S. Africa Command has insisted that no civilians were harmed during the operation, though U.S. Africa Command says that about every U.S. operation in Somalia, and only sometimes is it actually true. Frequently, it turns out not to be true. In Tanzania, there's a new report from the Oakland Institute, a think tank, uh, that accuses the Tanzanian government of seizing livestock from indigenous Maasai herders in the Ngorongoro, I'm sorry if I'm mangling that, conservation area in an effort to force those herders out to make way for tourists and trophy hunters. Authorities have tried to portray the relocation program as voluntary, but it's hard to see how that could be in light of this report. Uh, And when the government has also already been incredibly accused of depriving herders of basic needs like access to water and salt sources. Uh, They've also tried to insist that relocation is being done in the best interests of the indigenous community, but uh, I have to say that also rings pretty hollow. 
In the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the M23 militia has reportedly undertaken a new offensive around the town of Kichanga in the eastern DRC's North Kivu province, violating a ceasefire that the group agreed to uphold late last year. The renewed fighting has displaced some 450 people and drew a condemnation from the UN's peacekeeping mission on Thursday. Some of those who have been displaced are indicating that M23 is now in control of the town, but that's unconfirmed as far as I know. In Europe, uh, there was a number of stories in Ukraine, uh, as there frequently are. Uh, the Russian military celebrated the provision of Western tanks to Ukraine, which we talked about in yesterday's newsletter. With a massive drone and missile bombardment on Thursday, that killed at least 11 people and wounded 11 more. The Russians continue to target civilian infrastructure, particularly electrical substations. Russian officials didn't take the tank news well, as you might expect, characterizing it as further evidence of NATO's, quote, direct involvement, end quote, in the war. It, it it is difficult to argue that NATO isn't directly involved at this point, but it's been that way for a while now, and the contours of the war haven't changed. So in other words, despite the implicit threat, I wouldn't expect those Russian airstrikes to expand into, say, Poland or somewhere else uh, anytime soon. Uh, UNESCO has designated the historic area of the Ukrainian port city of Odessa as a World Heritage Site and classified it as in danger due to the war. The agency fast-tracked consideration of Odessa's status at the request of the Ukrainian government. The designation doesn't affect Odessa's current situation, obviously, but it could unlock additional funds for reconstruction once the war is over. Uh, the Pentagon is refusing to say, according to a new piece at The Intercept, whether it intends to send along any depleted uranium armor-piercing ammunition when it starts shipping its Bradley fighting vehicles to Ukraine. The Bradley is capable of firing such ammunition, which can be very effective against tanks in particular, but depleted uranium is a gift that never stops giving, as its heavy metal toxicity and low-level radioactivity have been linked to elevated rates of birth defects, cancers, and other conditions in places where it's been used, and I would point you specifically to the example of Iraq. Uh, whether or not the Ukrainians are about to get their hands on depleted uranium munitions, it's clearer than ever that this war has been an absolute dream come true for U.S. arms manufacturers, according to Responsible Statecraft. CEOs uh, are reveling uh, in all the extra revenue in their earnings calls with their, uh, their shareholders. They're also giving back to the community, by which I mean those same shareholders, uh, in the form of hefty taxpayer-funded dividends and stock buybacks. What a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful world in which we live. In Spain, uh, Spanish police are investigating a possible terrorist attack in the city of Algeciras, uh, where a man with a machete attacked several people in two churches late Wednesday, killing at least one person and injuring several others. Uh, he's apparently been arrested uh, and has been identified as Moroccan by local media, but other details are unknown. Uh, in the Americas, in Paraguay, the Biden administration on Thursday blacklisted former Paraguayan President Horacio Cartes and current Paraguayan Vice President Hugo Velasquez, uh, along with four entities linked to Cartes on corruption charges. The sanctions could have spillover effects on Paraguay's presidential election, which will take place on April 30th. Former Finance Minister Santiago Peña is the candidate uh, of the Colorado Party, to which uh, both Cartes and Velasquez belong. Cartes is accused of essentially buying the party's presidential nomination in 2013 and of bribing legislators while president, uh, including an effort to purchase support for a constitutional amendment that would have allowed him to run for re-election in 2017. The U.S. government also accuses him and Velasquez of ties to Hezbollah. 
In Peru, a group of Peruvian legislators tabled a motion to impeach interim President Dina Boluarte uh, on Peru's wonderfully vague permanent moral incapacity grounds on Wednesday. In a bit over a month uh, in office, Boluarte has shown herself manifestly unfit for the job and unable or unwilling to control Peruvian security forces who have killed dozens of protesters since last month's ouster of former President Pedro Castillo. She's unlikely to be impeached, however, as only a rump group of Castillo supporters uh, is backing the effort and the Peruvian Congress is controlled by conservative parties uh, that seem pretty comfortable with Boluarte in office. Uh, Police are reportedly preparing to attack roadblocks that protesters have set up uh, on a number of major Peruvian roads, uh, so the casualty count uh, is likely to rise in the very near future. On Thursday, Boluarte's government recalled its ambassador from Honduras in response to a remark earlier this week uh, from Honduran President Giomara Castro, in which she referred to Boluarte's accession to the presidency as a coup uh, coup d'etat. Uh, the Peruvian foreign ministry criticized Castro's unacceptable interference, that was its term, in Peruvian affairs, and says that the bilateral relationship will continue, but at sub-ambassadorial levels. Uh, in Haiti, Haitian police took to the streets of Port-au-Prince on Thursday, blocking roads, assaulting the home of Prime Minister Ariel Henry, and then attacking the city's airport as Henry was returning from a visit to Argentina. They're angry over gang violence that has claimed the lives of at least 11 police officers, uh, or that claimed the lives, rather, of at least 11 police officers last week, and has seen at least 78 police officers killed since Henry assumed power in the wake of former President Jovenel Moise's assassination uh, in July 2021. Uh, I'm unclear as to where things stand right now. According to Reuters, Henri was able to get from the airport uh, to his residence despite that attack on the airport. Uh, but there were reports of gunfire at his residence after his arrival. So this uh, situation uh, may still be fairly, fairly volatile. Uh, in the United States, the Biden administration has reinstated environmental protections for Alaska's Tongass National Forest uh, that had been lifted under the Trump administration. Tongass is the largest national forest in the U.S. and not coincidentally also happens to be the country's largest carbon sink, uh, which seems fairly important right now. Uh, the Clinton administration protected large swaths of the forest uh, from road construction way back in 2001 uh, from road construction and logging. Those protections have then since been repeatedly lifted and reimposed uh, based on which party controls the presidency. Republicans repeal them. Democrats put them back in place. And finally... Uh, in a uh, an interview, a Q&A piece for Responsible Statecraft, uh, Ade Darnell of the Stimson Center uh, says that the U.S. government is failing to adjust to a more assertive global South. I'll read you just a, a bit of an answer that she gave to one of their questions. U.S. foreign policy has been quite linked to the idea of U.S. hegemony and the idea that the American model is one that countries should try to replicate. In that sense, there have been some forms of moral superiority when it comes to dealing with U.S. counterparts around the world. Washington has used countries from the global south as pawns to achieve U.S. interests rather than treating them like equal partners. The Biden administration has tried to change the narrative around this with its U.S.-Africa strategy that came out in August and also with the African Leaders Summit in December, but we need to be careful and really monitor how that translates into action. African states are valuable partners in themselves, but the U.S. has neglected them. We've seen it with the war in Ukraine, for instance, with the different votes at the United Nations, where the U.S. and its Western allies had expectations that they would have a global coalition behind them. In March, almost half of African states abstained from or voted against a U.N. resolution condemning Russia. 
That was a moment of reckoning. Western countries are losing influence over countries in the global south. We are really seeing countries from the global south speaking quite clearly about their interests. We have many African states saying we do not want to sign on with one power or the other. We want to be able to have partnerships with the different countries involved. And that's all for us tonight. Uh, I want to thank you, as always, for reading and or listening to the newsletter. And thanks to those of you who are Foreign Exchanges subscribers, especially those of you who have made the jump to become paid Foreign Exchanges subscribers. And if you haven't do, done that yet, please consider it. Uh, until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.